Hello, everybody. Welcome back to How to Live a More Authentic Life with Dr. Barry Weinhold. Get real, How to Live a More Authentic Life with Dr. Barry Weinhold, author of 80, author of 80 books on psychology. Uh, Dr. Weinhold, how are you today? I'm doing really well. I'm enjoying the summer and uh, I'm looking forward to uh, a trip to Taos next month. And uh, uh, just uh, every life is good. Excellent. I'm glad to hear that. Um, what are we? What What do you got to, for us today? Well, again, I'm going to go back to the to the book. Uh, look at uh, show the cover up there again, and uh, uh, basically, uh, I'm going to be taking one of the items on the, uh, in the from the self quiz that's in this book, and digging in a little deeper about what it means and uh, how it how it really. Uh, can hold you back. Uh, I want to talk about probably one of the uh, most important indicators of psychological intelligence is the, your ability to be in touch with your needs, your wants and needs, and to be able to ask for help from others when you need it. We're social beings, and we like to work together, and we want to. We need to work together to to make our lives effective. I know there are some people who think they're self-made. There ain't no such thing, I'm afraid to say. <laughs> Most of us have gotten where we got with the help of others. And it, uh, it helps us to be able to ask directly for what we want and need from others in order to improve our lives. And so a lot of people have trouble with this. And I want to talk about why and what you can do about it. So that's uh, that's kind of the theme for today and uh, in, in the, uh, uh, the podcast. Uh, now, uh, so I want to, if you put up the, the, uh, the self-quiz again uh, of how to increase your, your psychological intelligence, uh, I can look at that for a minute. And I want to take the first one here. Uh, no, no, actually, it's not the first one. It's the third one. Uh, ask directly for what you want and need from others. Now, uh, basically, the reason people have trouble doing this is that I've, I'm a developmental psychologist, so I look at everything developmentally. And what I can trace back is the fact that most of us, uh, when we went through infancy, uh, our biggest challenge was to be able to, to bond and attach to a mother or, or to a bonded another person. And we have to have that in order to survive. And so that's the first of two important needs that we have when we were born. The second one is the need for to be an authentic person. So I think those are the two things that I work on most with people. And so when I look at infancy and I look at the, the, the research on, on what happens to bonding and what can interfere with it, a lot of things interfere with it. It's, it apparently is... Uh, uh, in our modern world, uh, particularly in this country, uh, only about 41% of infants leave infancy with a secure bonding and attachment. That's what you're hoping for, is a secure one. So 59% have, have kind of an insecure one, and they're, they're still trying to figure out what that is. Ben, do you know what your attachment style is? I don't, and I'm a little afraid to find out. <laughs> I, I think yep. it's avoid. I, I think it's avoidant, anxious, anxious, uh, avoidant, anxious. Well, anxious, ambivalent is is the the one. There's three. Right. There's avoidant, 
there's anxious, ambivalent, and there's uh, disorganized. And, and those are the three insecure ones. And the percentage of people in each seems to vary depending on who you who did the research. But some of the research I read were uh, showed that about 80% of those who come for therapy uh, uh, have an, a disorganized attachment uh, relationship style. But that's what's gotten them in trouble and why they're in therapy. That the disorganized attachment seems to really mess up relationships a lot. Actually, the other two do as well, but I'm going to focus on that one because of the research I read said that 80% of the clients uh, who go to therapy uh, have that. And so I want to help people understand how it operates in their life and how it operates in their relationships and how it can really destroy your relationships. And, and then also the research shows that about 80% of people who work in the, the helping professions, this is really kind of startling, also have a disorganized attachment. So many therapists, if you haven't worked on your own, if you don't know what your style is and you haven't worked on it, you can be ending up being the blind leading the blind. If you don't know what your style is and you don't know what your client's style is, uh, you, you may go way off base on what is really going on. Because uh, I think that uh, this whole area of asking for what you want and need directly uh, is, is, goes way back to infancy. And then it is also uh, reinforced at about age two when you're separating and trying to build that authentic self. If that doesn't work too well, you sometimes uh, uh, adopt a, an attitude of, of, oh, I'll show you, I can do it myself. And these are the kind of people who, uh, who use uh, the, uh, more of the, the disorganized, or, or instead of the disorganized, they have the, the one uh, attachment style, either am, anxious, ambivalent, or avoidant. And, and they become more avoidant or anxious and ambivalent when they enter relationships. The, uh, the disorganized people don't seem to have a lot of anxious and ambivalent uh, feelings when they enter relationships, but they have others that get in trouble and, and cause the relationships to, to not work as well. So I'd like to dig in deeper into that one and, and give you uh, some ideas about what to look for. If, and then I also will put post for you to download if you want it is I have a self inventory that determines whether you have a disorganized attachment uh, style, relationship style or not. So um, I'll leave that up there after when I'm done talking at the end of this episode, but you can download it and take the, uh, fill it out and, and score it and see if disorganized attachment style uh, and relationship uh, attachment style is is part of why you have some relationship issues that you have. So Ben, put that chart up there or list of of uh, no, that's not it. There it is. Examples of uh, how the dis of the disorganized attachment relationship style in adult in your adult relationships. So I wanted to go through each one of these and. Uh, and talk about how they could really influence and, and affect and actually alter or even uh, break up a relationship. The first one is that people with an, a, a 
disorganized attachment relationship style tend to focus on the needs of others or their partner at the expense of their own wants and needs. They tend to look at what can I do to help my partner do better. Now that grows out of how that developed in infancy. The, the, the research shows that, that if a parent shows some weakness or some inability to meet the child's needs, the child will, 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 will leap into the breach and do something to help the parent do a better job of meeting uh, their own needs and also their child's needs. And so the, the child begins to focus on the needs of the partner in order to, it maybe also is a, a way of kind of uh, protecting themselves because sometimes if if the, the, the partner or in the case of an infant, the mother is, uh, is either depressed or overworked or overwhelmed or has an addiction, uh, uh, they pick it up very quickly and they try to do something to make the situation better. That's where it starts. And then they begin to continue to uh, do that as a as a relationship style into their early uh, years as they as they become, uh, um, you know, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. They still continue to do that, and and it becomes a a, a way of uh, of doing relationship, and and that can really get lead to resentment after a while. If you focus so much on the needs of the other, and you don't get your needs met it can lead to some kind of resentment after a while. That, gee, I'm giving so much to this relationship and I'm not getting a lot back. And that I hear that tale very often in relationships. So the second one is a, related to this. You accommodate to the needs of the others uh, uh, at your own expense. And the, uh, the classic uh, uh, relationship style of a disorganized attachment uh, nature is one of accommodating to the needs of others, and that is uh, can also lead to uh, some resentment that somehow in accommodating to their needs, you don't get back what you think you deserve in return, and you start to feel resentful. So there is also some approach avoidance in uh, in the uh, disorganized attachment as well as it shows up in the the anxious ambivalent type. But the approach avoidance here is that uh, you want to be close to other people, but when you start to get close, you get kind of afraid of them and, and afraid that somehow uh, you're more vulnerable, you're more uh, likely to get hurt. And, and so you begin to start to put up some barriers to intimacy. You put up some ways to protect yourself in relationships, in close relationships that may end up not really helping the relationship grow very much. So then the fourth one is that the, the person with a disorganized attachment relationship style tends to normalize things that are not normal in their relationships. And that can get them in trouble. The red flags that show up in relationships, you know, uh, they, they kind of dismiss them. Oh, she was just having, he was just having a bad day. Or uh, typically enablers in relationships where there's an alcoholic tend to do this a lot. They normalize the alcoholic's behavior and don't really see the, the impact of it. So it's really uh, an important uh, way to, to understand that, that 
by normalizing things that are not normal, you are really helping kind of create a, an illusion of, of the relationship being working when it's not really working very well. Uh, not feeling that you deserve to get your needs met is another thing that the, the disorganized attachment style uh, seems to, to, to lead to. People tend to then think about themselves as, well, you know, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm not really that important to have these needs met. The other person's more important. And, and actually, some of this grows out of, uh, out of uh, some religious trainings. There's a lot of people who grew up in, with very religious families where uh, taking care of your own needs and making sure that you deserve to get your needs met is like being selfish. And so it's not seen as something really uh, uh, essential. In fact, it's it's got bad uh, bad press in some religious communities. And uh, in fact, I know one community where their sole goal is to eliminate the self and uh, to replace the self with groupthink. And that's uh, that's what I define as a cult. So the next one is uh, the willingness to tolerate neglect in your relationship. Because strangely enough, uh, neglect has more of a last, long-lasting impact on our behavior than does abuse. And so if we were neglected in any way as a child, and we made some decisions about that and had some beliefs about that, maybe it's one that, uh, well, I, didn't, I, I wasn't neglected because I didn't deserve to get that anyway. So there's really a, a, a lack of understanding of how neglect and growing up is affecting your current uh, adult relationships, your own feeling of being neglected. And remember, anything that you didn't get finished growing up, any learning experience that was left unfinished will continue to show up in your life. And when I work with couples, uh, Usually it has shown up already, and they've had a number of times where uh, they've had conflict over this issue or that issue. And I usually found two things are true. First of all, whatever they're upset about is not the real reason they're upset. It's really a bleed through from some kind of uh, earlier belief related to possibly uh, uh, an insecure attachment. So they, uh, they will tend to, uh, uh, in their relationships, will tend to act out uh, and, uh, or, or regress. So that's number seven, is that, that people with a disorganized attachment uh, often are heavy into drama in, in their relationships. And, and they, they basically, their, their beginning relationships were not calm and peaceful. There was some drama at the very beginning, maybe as early as infancy. Uh, it may be a drama about uh, getting sick or mother getting sick or mother having an accident or mother not being able to take care of you because of addiction or whatever it might be. But there's drama attached. And also people, when they are triggered, they regress. So in relationships, what I found was that the closer the relationship comes, becomes, the more likely that these dramas and these regressions will show up. And uh, it, it's kind of like the good news, bad news. Uh, and the reason is that it's usually not feeling 
people don't feel safe enough to allow these feelings to show up. And so they have guarded against making these happen and, and um, making these show up, having these show up in their relationships. So they really are, are uh, uh, lacking in understanding of why they do what they do in this case. Number eight, most people with a disorganized attachment style uh, have poor relation, conflict resolution uh, uh, skills. They, they just don't have the ways. That's the second thing I found in working with many, many couples is first, they don't understand what they're really upset about. And second of all, they don't have any skills to resolve it if they did know. So those are the two things I work with with my with most of my clients. And the book has a lot, uh, it's a whole chapter on conflict resolution skills and teaches, shows, gives the information and also the tools they need. People need to have better conflict resolution skills, one of my specialty areas. And, and people with a disorganized attachment tend to avoid conflict at all costs. They tend to, again, have that shaky kind of bonding and attachment. And so they don't want to have any conflict that could threaten that. And so any conflicts that come up, they, uh, they tend to try to avoid them actually happening in the first place. And, and they go way out of their way to, to, to prevent the conflict from happening. And then number 10 on the list is that uh, uh, people, instead of asking directly for what they want because of this disorganized attachment, they use indirect means to get their needs met. They may try to uh, manipulate others, number 11, into feeling sorry for them, you know, so that they're like a victim and that the, they, they need uh, someone to, to reach out and take care of them in some way. And that is a very common way that people handle this, uh, this lack of, of uh, directness in terms of their needs and wants. They, uh, they manipulate others by not asking, but hitting or making it uh, clear that they need some help, but they never ask for it. And number, uh, number 12 is they engage in people-pleasing behaviors, which are frequently among, when people have a disorganized attachment relationship style, they very, I have another inventory on, and the defining whether you're a people pleaser or not. Almost everybody that has the disorganized attachment style also has scores score high on that when they score high on the people pleaser inventory. And and then finally, uh, a lot of people have used this term of the imposter syndrome that they feel like they're 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 living a life of a lie or they're not being truthful. And this is the false self that uh, that I talk about a lot. It's a similar to the feeling of the imposter syndrome that people come up with. And so uh, these are kind of the more common ways that, that the disorganized attachment style will affect your, your adult relationships. And so uh, the first step, of course, is understanding whether you have this insecure attachment style and and so ben you can put up the inventory on, on uh how to how to change your uh, that's uh i don't think that's the one i'm looking for here i'm looking for one that says uh uh disorganized attachment uh 
Oh, yes, it does say that. <laughs> okay, this is the one. Uh, it has this stuff at the, the top, which shouldn't be there. But the inventory itself, you can download this whole thing and, and fill it out, score it, and, t and see how much of uh, your behavior and relationships might be related to a disorganized attachment, uh, insecure attachment style. And, uh, and then I'll talk more in my other, and certainly in the book, there's a lot about how to deal with that, how to change that if, if that's an issue for you. How do you get to uh, re-regulate re your relationship in a more equal way rather than using the, the strategies you developed as a child, having developed an, in, uh, an insecure or disorgan disorganized attachment style. So Ben, does that help you define what yours are? Yeah, I have a disorganized attachment style. <laughs> Pretty sure. Yeah. So. Well, I mean, you're in good company. Yeah, there you go. Good. And it's the newest one that's been developed. I mean, I understood uh, people from UC Berkeley, Mary Main and her husband, Eric Hasse, have done the pioneering research on disorganized attachment style. And, uh, and it's only been maybe the last 10 years where this, the literature is starting to get filled with articles about uh, how to understand it, how to identify it, and how to how to break free of it. So it's, it's a newest uh, form of, of our newest kind of level of understanding of, of how our infant attachment styles affect our adult life. And what, what I'm trying to understand is that whatever that first bonding and attachment was like, it becomes the template for all of our other relationships in the future, unless we change it. And, and so, uh, to understand where it came from, what it is about, uh, is the first step in then learning that this is something I, I need to change. And so I work with my clients on, on changing if any of those uh, elements of the disorganized attachment style show up in their relationships. We work on how do you, how do you change that? And some of it's gone, you have to take people back to infancy in terms of thinking about what might have happened as an infant that could have related to what they're dealing with now as an adult. Yeah. What are we talking about next week? Well, I'm going to dig deeper into the book and into another one of the, uh, the 36 different uh, uh, elements of living a more authentic life or having increased your ways of increasing your, your psychological intelligence. I'm going to talk about taming your shame. Love it. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Dr. Weinhold. Uh, if you want any of the resources or to uh, pick up the book or any of the other books that Dr. Weinhold has written, uh, check out circle.org for all of that. You can get the link to that in the description of this episode. Uh, thank you very much, Dr. Weinhold. Bye for now. For more information, please visit the Colorado Institute for Conflict Resolution and Creative Leadership at CICRCL.org or click the link in the show notes.